Hey, 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 all you witches and werewolves, demons, devils, and drow, and welcome back to Tom Talks. As always, I'm your host, Heath Parker, a.k.a. Titanium Mike, the toughest goddamn vest anyone's ever seen. The gang's all here for book two's wrap-up, but before we go any further, happy Halloween, everybody! Happy Halloween! Hey, happy, happy Halloween! Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah, happy, happy spooky day. <clears throat> um, that's right, the dedicated crew here at STF are recording for your listening pleasure on the spookiest of holidays because we just love you so much, to be honest. But without further ado, I'd like to formally introduce my good friends and prison break companions, starting with the voice of the mistress of the criminal underworld and queen of the costume, Madame Nariko Zivarajni, who else but Emily Gidham Summerlin. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. On to our resident ghost in a shell and meddler in the drift, voice of Xeno5, John Thomas. Hey, thank you very much. The voice of STF's creepy bug-eyed chameleon man, Felino Marana, our own Josh, that would work in the real world, Richards. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Oh my god, that's too perfect. It's good to be here, though. Sweet. Part Jedi, part scoundrel, part mystic, and I would argue part zombie. Aaron, I died this one time, no big deal, Vance. Mr. <laughs> Zach Evans. Hey, hey. <laughs> Yow. And last but not least, the architect of our agony, the devil behind the details, Adam Kelly. Hello. Hey, hey, you old son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in the spirit of Halloween, I wanted to truly frighten the listeners and half of the STF crew and we're going to start off with another half hour of talking about fish. <laughs> All right, well, that was I'm fun, guys. Yeah. 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 Awesome, Bye. dude. I've been Wait, wanting to uh, talk. This was we'll great. see you. Wait, you guys don't want to hear a 30-minute <laughs> big black furry creature from Mars? <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> the words. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, for real. Do any of you guys have big plans for tonight or this weekend, the Halloween weekend, as it were? And if so, what are your costumes? Um, well, I have plans, but no costume. Lame. I, I'm only being adamant about this because I'm literally in costume right now. You're the only one of us. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, right it was much more for you guys and to get myself in that spirit, you know, but uh, since this is an audio format. I mean, it's a pretty good costume. Hey, you know, well, like, the, really well, the is. listener can't it's see it. Uh, I am dressed up as Edward Kenway from Assassin's Creed Black Flag. My favorite pirate assassin. So proud of you. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Shut. How about does, you no, shut your honestly, fucking though, gob? There you go. Honestly, <laughs> it looks great. Like I love it. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you're all here. Is, yeah. Is all I can say. We're glad to be here. Speaking of costumes, in book two we infiltrated, or at least attempted to infiltrate, the Aslanti prison <laughs> on the moon of Gulta. Some of you were dressed in Aslanti disguises, while Zeno and Mike, while not in costume per se, were disguised as captives. How did you guys feel about your performance in this endeavor? In the real world, <laughs> I thought... <laughs> <laughs> I wish that I would have, like, practiced a British accent. I've mentioned this off-air a lot, but ever since we did Curse of Strahd, I can't do... British anymore because it's just like my brain is wired for like that Eastern European and so I felt like my attempts to like change Oren's voice were bad just just bad so 
Well, there you go. To your credit, I mean, I don't think there's anything in the source materials that say they have British accents. That's just what Adam did. You know? No. Well, I was following Adam and also Emily's lead. Yeah. I think Emily nailed it. For what it's worth. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, that was great. That was my attempt at being like British, modest, um, you know, kind of uh, that mm-hmm. thing. So I think we uh, had a good plan. The execution was not flawless, um, but everybody looked good doing it. So there's <laughs> that. Yeah, I mean, I think that we we went in with the best plan that we as a group uh, could come up with. Uh, we, we did our best and, you know, everything said and done, nobody died. So, you know, yeah. I mean, none That's of right. the party members died. But did nobody you die? Nobody died, okay. <laughs> so the, uh, the disguise checks were made in secret, if y'all remember. Yup. Everybody passed except for Fell. Oh, okay. However, Fell had the uh, the full covered armor on, mm-hmm. so it wasn't until he spoke that that came into play, which is why the he he had questions about your your what you had to say at the front desk. All right, that makes so much more sense now. It would have worked in the real That's world. That's why it wouldn't work in the real world. <laughs> Just an interesting behind the screen there. I, I honestly, I feel a lot better about that now. Like I genuinely do. <laughs> He's been losing sleep over it, y'all. I hear about it a lot. Just know. a scooch. He's definitely been stressing it. <laughs> definitely been stressing it. But that's the that's the truth behind that one. <laughs> so I mean, the fact okay. is, uh, we didn't do great. As far as the, the disguise <laughs> and infiltrate our way through the whole thing. Um, I, I think that's objectively true. Um, mm-hmm. However, I, I wanted to ask you guys about how do you feel about espionage and subterfuge in TTRPGs, like in general? Like, I find that it can be quite difficult for a whole group to engage in those kinds of activities, mostly due to two things. First, most players' general aversion to splitting the party, uh, which is, you know, just common sense. And second, the tendency for groups to diversify themselves into distinct roles, which usually leads to at least one person being horrible at the types of skills necessary for stealth and deception. That said... That's me! Well, not really as bad as... I mean, yeah, you're, you're not great at it, but I was going to say nine times out of ten, I'm that one person who is, like, the worst at it. Um, so I may have a little less insight on the topic than some of you guys, but like like yeah. I said, how do, you, how do you guys feel about scenarios that force you to use subterfuge, uh, espionage, disguises, and things like that, like, in, in this type of gaming in general? Overall, uh, in... TTRPGs, I love it. Like that's that's kind of where I I like to play, but as a group, it is very difficult. Oh, exceedingly difficult. You're you're trying to fabricate a story within a story, like immediately, uh, and hope that your other um, 
cohorts jump on board with said story. Uh, so, and I think that was kind of what we we ran into a few times throughout the the moon. So, um, I love it, but it's very difficult when you have more than one person, one one brain doing it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Emily. Like, I personally love doing like video games in particular that have that deal with that type of uh, situation, like the Metal Gear Solid series or uh, Deus Ex, like. In any type of open world type thing, video game rather that I play, I tend to go for the sneaky, stealthy, non-lethal, talk your way out of stuff route. And currently in two of the games that uh, I'm playing in, or two tabletop role-playing games I'm in, I'm playing a rogue. So, you know, it is the de facto sneaky class. And, you know, it's, it's honestly something I love and didn't really work out for me this time because I'm not playing that I guess but even more so it, as a group it's difficult well, yeah I think the something that's kind of different about this particular scenario as far as an espionage type situation is that this wasn't necessarily you trying to sneak in so there wasn't a lot of stealth roles right it was much more deception based thing which is Certainly a a way of being sneaky, but it's different than your typical try to sneak through a fortress type situation. It requires a little bit more uh, thinking on your feet. More having to a more charismatic approach, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say silver time, but yeah, a more charismatic approach. Well, definitely. well, not only you know does it benefit from charisma as a stat, but it also comes down a lot of the time in this situation to a particular skill check, which is, is bluff, you know? And like, for instance, uh, Mike may not be the most charismatic person in the world. He's horrible at bluff, but really good at intimidate, which is a, an associated charisma skill. But like that, it really plays up the importance of, of how one skill can affect like an entire scenario, or in this case, an entire book. So, uh, Speaking of uh, Josh's tendency to play rogues, that's one thing I've always found a little problematic about rogue and roguelike characters is that they seem to operate best on their own, but the common knowledge or common, you know, assumption is that you don't want to split the party anytime you can avoid it. So, like, that's that's one reason I've always, like, had little to no interest in playing roguelike characters because there seems to be a, a discrepancy there between, like, the situations you would excel in and the situations you will actually be involved with. Yeah. And that's something that in the curse of Strahd campaign, that's been a bit of like a point of contention with the rest of the group in playing a rogue. Like it does work (laughs) best going on your own, you know, at times. I think that if you have a rogue, you, you should be pleased and thankful to have a rogue in your party because then you have a scout you know i think what it comes down to is and players not want yeah players not wanting to like not be involved in everything that's happening you know what i mean and so it comes down to this like oh there's this this person's getting to go do something fun and my character can't do anything with it i i don't like it but if you change your perspective there i mean a rogue can be very helpful for you. You can scout information, can help you get a better lay of what you're going into before you go in there. And then as far as tactical control goes, rogues are just about 
being very aware of the battle map. You know what I mean? It's always Mm -hmm. about getting in position, flanking, all that stuff. It's not like you have to be invisible or stealth or hidden to get your rogue stuff off. But if you're not those things, you certainly have to be in advantageous position. No, absolutely. Rogues are all about positioning. To that note, Adam, what, uh, like, there was a specific situation where my rogue and a ranger, another player in the party, did split off while some other stuff was happening again in the curse campaign uh, and scouted out a location, the next place we knew we were going, and had the means and the abilities to actually get a solid lay of the land before the rest of the party went there and did it in a safe manner. So, like, being able to scout out like that's amazing. It can it can certainly be helpful. I don't know if having an operative in this case would have helped you too much as far as scouting, but I think would have helped you out a lot with being a little bit more savvy with doing some of the things you were doing in the prison. A little bit stealthier, more stealthy, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know if an operative would have helped y'all out or not, you know? I mean, it might have helped us be less conspicuous. Well, that, that very much depends on like how the operative is built, because I, I really feel like operative is one of the more diverse classes as far as the things you can do with it. The, the many different paths you can take as an operative. So, um, it being Halloween, I couldn't help but think about monsters and exciting and potentially frightening creatures in this book, despite being heavily focused on the entirely human Aslanti Empire didn't disappoint as far as those kind of exotic creatures or races. First an outpost said, and then once we got further into the prison and were trying to free the people we were assigned to free. Now, calling them monsters may not be entirely fair, but what were you guys' favorite new or interesting aliens or alien races in book two between Outpost Zed, the prison? It's easily, like, there's, there's no question I mean, you all know exactly what I'm going to say. Half red. Like a <laughs> a a cuttlefish surrounded in an in like a ball or an orb of liquid that communicates purely through emoji. Like, come on. That's that's so incredibly outlandish, so ridiculous that of course Fell has to go on a date with her. <laughs> what, what about you, Zach? Um, bright bright crackle flicker dim, for sure. Easily, mm-hmm. uh, even though I hate spiders. Yep. Uh, I, the, yeah, he was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, I was, I was going to say I Super was a little cool. surprised by that response because he's a spider and you so adamantly hate spiders. Yeah, but he's fucking hilarious, though, man. I mean, <laughs> it's just so funny that – and because when you actually think about it, what actually happened is Hashichir is, you know – translating the spiders like glowing crystal pulses morse code type thing and and this and this disgusting looking uh crustacean type guy is you know the zardots and aslanti and the aslanti is you know it's just like hilarious you know i love it what what about you john I'd have to actually uh, piggyback with Zach on this as far as the spider pirates. I think they are most unique uh, to encounter. And plus, uh, Adam's delivery of it actually turned out to be really great. Yeah, I mean, kudos. Adam's delivery on that really sold it. (laughs) Emily? 
As far as uh, what uh, race I, I liked, I suck. What was Talmarin's? What is she? Gosclaw. So I, I I would like to play one of those maybe one day. So I thought that was pretty cool. I like little little weasel lady. That's cool. But as like most outlandish, like what the fuck? The little chicka mouse were just like so chicken weird mouse, to yeah. me. Like, can't remember what they're called. Do you remember, Adam? Uh, yeah, Screedreet. Screedreet, yeah. No, they're called chicken mouse. So there's that. <laughs> Adam, I mean you. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was definitely a lot. You know, I was like reading through this book, and I was like, oh my god, I am going to have to. I'm going to have to play all of these and make noises, <laughs> you know, um, and, and figure it out. It was, it turned out to be a lot of fun. I actually had a lot of fun doing it. I think my favorite one is Talmarin just because like I enjoyed those conversations and, but I mean, it's also the one that was like least fun to do, if that makes any sense. Like I really liked Talmarin as a character, but it was well, my least favorite one to voice. I loved yeah. it, but it was awful. To be fair, yeah. that's because you're a shitty <laughs> Shakespearean actor. Yeah. To be fair, knew? she was <laughs> shitty Shakespearean speaker. To be fair, <laughs> I wrote that in so I didn't look as bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, it, the whole, the whole, all of them were so much fun to just get weird with. Um, well, I'm glad we got to, you know, uh, being that, as I mentioned, the Aslanti are like so definitively human. You know, they're all human. I mean, they're the shittiest of humans. They wouldn't agree with that. But it's nice to like balance that with if we're going to be doing uh, a prison break that every enemy is a human, then it's cool to have that weirdness on the fringes kind of thing. Um, you want to know what my favorite was? Of yeah. yeah, please. Uh so I, what, I'm going to have to defer to Adam again for the name. What was the, the blue creature that, to use fantasy football parlance, trade-raped me? Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Can we not use that <laughs> parlance? That's, that's a term in, in fantasy football. If you get screwed yeah. over on a uh, trade, like so that I, fantasy. But you didn't though. You kept your trade. I mean, your trident and uh, and your guns. You got the best deal out. He of tried, but what? You what got was the that? best deal out of that. The name of the creature is a perilith. I don't know if he has a, a proper name, you know. Uh, but the creature type it's a perilith. Um, it's a really interesting creature. Like he's got a, a really cool stat block, you know. Um, but I also, I mean, I thought it was more fun for you get to interact with him than fight him. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, and I was um, trying to avoid that as much as I could. I, I just thought he was delightful because he reminded me a little bit of uh, Blue from uh, Monsters Inc. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but I like I liked him, and I liked. Uh, it's not that exotic of a creature, but the Akeshti. Uh, being in its like crazed state was really interesting. Rager form or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rivener. That's, Rivener. That's it. That's, That's right. Yeah, and it sucks because like the Aslanti like forced that mm -hmm. upon them, knowing yeah. knowing it. You know, like. I think it's really important to kind of look at how so many of these races looked 
monstrous, but the biggest monsters were the Aslanti. I was wondering who was going to go there, yes. but I mean, you're I mean, right. Though. Did like, you really I, have to wonder? I, I, I know. I'm I mean, so glad you made the point, so I didn't have to. You know, I'm always there. Well, for I mean, reason. look at look at Grub. Grub was such mm-hmm. a good soul, and we couldn't I mean, directly speak handsy, to him. Okay. Was a little well, handsy. that's how it communicated. That's <laughs> it's fine. just a difference in cultures, man. Like he didn't know. He didn't know. That's yeah. how he speaks. Well, I I will say we're gonna get to a little bit of grub stuff later. Oh yeah. But quickly, I was oh. I was gonna ask Adam, um, how long would you say book one took as far as like in game time? As far as the time you spent on Nakondas, I'd say what, I think it was three days. Four, no, it was five days total because three days doing the adventure and then you hung around for two days waiting for your ship to upgrade and help kind of rebuild and all that in Weldy's party. So that was all five days. Yeah, so much like Halloween, um, the prison itself was only, what, a few hours of in-canon time, right? Yeah. Um, and that's it's just yeah. one scary... Yeah night or one scary day you know and i think that's what made the prison particularly scary is knowing that you're so limited time wise and that there won't be any opportunities to rest you know like Mm -mm. i mean like this this was the book of anxiety sure sure and it was like really a test of attrition right of like there 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 is no place for you to get any of your stuff back you have to Work with what you got, and that's all you got, you know? And you guys were up against it. I mean, it came out in in the arc. I mean, you guys spent every spell slot you had. Three of you were down to, like, minimal HP or zero HP. You know, like, everything was spent. Well, three of us I got mean, straight Phil up. I had out. plenty of resolve points left, but, yeah. Yeah. you know. <laughs> so many resolve points. All the resolve points. <laughs> Well, the resolve points, though, are, are, I mean, I don't know if I'm putting the cart before the horse here, Heath, but I think, like, it's pretty clear that those resolve points make it very difficult to actually die. You know what I mean? Like, if you think about the way the mechanics of them work, you know, like, you, it's as long as you have them, you're, you're not going to... You're going to be okay. Well, I mean, and I think that was really put the, that resolve system was obviously really put to the strain in the final sequence. But I mean, what do y'all think about that, about the resolve system? Well, with the resolve system, uh, I would have to say that um, it's great from the lower levels, but whenever you get higher level, then it starts to actually taking away half of your uh, resolve points. And we were just too low, too low of a level for that to actually be take effect. You know, in this uh, situation, in this yeah, scenario, yeah, I guess, I guess more go. So it'd be more you have harrowing, to have more to be able to do that. Well, yeah. I think right, personally, right. that's a good thing because I, I feel like, oh, just, just from you know our interactions with the Discord, um, there's been kind of this notion that it's impossible to die in Starfinder, you know, and I don't think that's fair necessarily, but I understand that that is based on the resolve system, that if you have bonus resolve points, you're not going to die. You're going to be able to get back in it. But 
that's one thing I liked so much about particularly the ending of this book is that you did push many of us to the limit and force us to use a lot of those resolve points. And that's when it does get dangerous and it does get to a point that someone could die at any moment, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So realistically, uh, if we would have gone one more round, I mean, Ziva would have died. That just did. That's very true. Ziva, uh, yeah, because you got tapped out of resolve too. Yeah, the whole Z squad for sure. I think I think it's a lot of people are going to take away how close to death Zeno was in that right because I obviously was putting the heat on Zeno, you know, shooting him while he's down and all those things. But Ziva was just in the same situation. It just was in the last throws, but she got brought down to the same you know situation just for being it being involved in the in the activities you know yeah, it just wasn't as dramatic you know she wasn't getting drugged Which is across surprising considering nah, i think it was dramatic you know it's ziva uh, i mean it was yeah, well just as dramatic it just wasn't quite it as wasn't theatrical. as prolonged her danger wasn't as prolonged that's true. as zeno's was that's the right. difference yeah zeno's was stretched out a couple of episodes <laughs> well, that, that's true as well. But also, like, Ziva, you know, her everything that she was doing was kind of happening in the background of Fel and Zeno's attempt to leave. But she wrapped around and was engaged in one-person war against the robots that were blocking your exit. You know what I'm saying? But, like, all that stuff happened pretty quickly. We didn't have any questions about... We didn't have to, like, go to the rules about anything that happened on her turn. And, like, all of a sudden, she was, like, close to down. And then when we got to the end and we got to the ramp, it was like, oh, shit. Like, she's in bad shape. And we didn't even realize it, you know, because we've been so focused on everything else happening. You know, it was this interesting kind of side story that exploded at the end, you know? That's kind of what I mean by that it wasn't as dramatic is that, you know, you have this epic scene that we referenced, you know, the movie Hacksaw Ridge like three times in that Fell is dragging Zeno's lifeless or, or unconscious body for all this time while he's being shot at. I mean, that's an incredibly dramatic and prolonged scene that occurred. That's not to take away from the danger that Ziva was in, but hers yeah, was a lot absolutely. quicker. You know, like, I mean, it yeah. just happened all of a no, sudden. I think mm-hmm. the, the, uh, somebody said it wasn't as dramatic, or it was as dramatic, but it wasn't as theatrical. I think that's perfect. Like, because, yeah, Hacksaw Ridge, man, doing it up. Um, as, as, and I'll say this while we're on this kind of subject, as <laughs> terrified as I was that Ziva was not going to make it, I would have been very happy if she went down like that like it would have been okay ish yes an honorable honorable combat (laughs) so uh, sticking to the kind of Halloween theme of the evening I did a little bit of reading up on like the origins of Halloween and its evolution over time which led me to you know a few interesting observations so Halloween's likely oldest roots are in the Celtic festival of Samhain. It's, pr- it's spelled Samhain, but it's pronounced Samhain. 
Uh, Salen both signified the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the long and deadly winter, but according to the Celts, it was also a period of time during which the barrier between the physical world and the spiritual world became sort of thin, which allowed spirits and ghosts to enter into our world. I think it's fair to say that Halloween and its predecessors have always been tied up in fear and death. So, you know, let's talk about that rough stuff. Um... I know this was a hard book for the Epic Tracer crew, and I want to particularly dig into those moments that made it difficult. The the moments when we were most afraid, particularly of death, um, at, you know, which ties into what we were just talking about. But there were there were numerous times that we had really harrowing situations, and and even before the combat at the ship. Uh, as we were trying to, you know, leave and take off, that we were legitimately concerned that somebody would go down and and die. So I was going to (laughs) say, so John, how about you lead off this one? Okay, so yeah, as far as character death, um, there was multiple scrapes that uh, Zeno had in this this AP. Uh, Both actually the uh, mid of AP1 and AP2. And uh, honestly, I think me, both as a player and as a character, um, wasn't actually ready for uh, the scrapes that would come by. Because, I mean, like, okay, so Adam drove home the idea that Aslanti did not like Machine Mate, you know? And I think in the very first time that we, uh, that we fought, uh, what was the lieutenant's name? Not uh, Sharu. Yeah, Lieutenant Sharu, where uh, everybody was already like close to real low health, you know, from the uh, electric trap in the uh, prison room. Oh, you're talking about Olaraje. Oh, Olaraje. That's who I'm talking about. Yeah, that was the first time that we came across like the the real hatred of uh, Aslanti towards Machine Mate. Then we move forward over to uh, AP2, and we see several encounters where it's just like. They really don't. I mean, like, let's let's go into discussion real quick over the fact that uh, they crushed his eye. Then they went ahead and moved forward to where uh, he was shot several times, uh, down to uh, spending resolve points over in the warden's room. Then move even further down the line, where where we're all doing the the great escape to the ship, and also bring brought down there. Um, that right there. Uh, it was very harrowing for me. I, I really I think, don't yeah, like Adam for that. I think that's what it comes down to. Is that's what Heath is asking you. Yes, all those things happened to you, John. I did all those things. Yes. What Heath <laughs> wants to know is how do you feel about it? That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, uh, I'm trying to... I don't to like be, you, okay, Adam. All right. I'm that's, leading up to it. That's the okay. synopsis of it. That was all the lead up nope. to, to tell me you and don't like summary, it. Well, minutes of Adam's shit uh, kind of a dick. So. <laughs> well, as, yeah. <laughs> Adam is kind of a dick, but here's the thing about that, though. Let's let's um, even though that he he did all those things, um, I do got to say that I wouldn't have another GM for it. Um, so <clears throat> that's very sweet, but in the moment, <laughs> did it make you mad? Did it did it piss you off? In in I mean, and I say well, in the moment, in those multiple. Moments. I wouldn't say it made me mad. No, 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 no. It didn't make me mad, honestly. Uh, terrified if anything right? exactly anxious uh, i kind of already knew in the back of my head that even as Zeno went down you know so well, yeah, i, I was like i was prepared for that also 
Part of it, I think, is also that the Aslanti are just such assholes that they are that try, trying to to take out the android in our party is just as much a slight to us as it is, you know, Zeno himself, right? It's just as much about um, giving you the big middle finger that you would even associate with such lower life forms or whatever, right? I feel like well, I mean, without even realizing it, this became part of Zeno's story. You know, I mean, as far as like the this became part of the the story of Zeno, as far as uh, the resentment towards androids, well, the prejudice, from, the, I mean, the, the yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, something that wasn't exactly he was. Well, expecting. the thing is, is that Zeno has managed in his years to avoid slavery exactly. as an Aslanti, and actually, or not, I'm sorry, as an android, and uh, he's actually like had a pretty charmed life as far as being able You're to right. go to do his research. You know, he narrowly escaped being a slave when Mike and Irio saved him. That would have been his know. first taste of it, you know, but even then. Yeah. But, but yeah. And then like he's had, he's part of a successful startup company and everything yep. like that. Yet here he is like experiencing being treated like a slave regard regardless just because of your makeup you know and that honestly was a big part of what i was trying to drive home with the Aslanti is like okay they're space nazis how 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 do i like really drive this home in a universe where there's literally thousands of different races right you know what i mean like thousands and so, like, yeah, okay, so the Aslanti think that the human are the best and they hate all races, but that just, to me, dilutes it to where it's more visceral if there's something tangible that you all can connect to. With One, Sedona's an android, and two, Zeno is an android, of, like, their hate is specific on a deeper level for androids. You know, mm-hmm. like, they represent everything antithesis to what the Aslanti believe because they believe that humanity, in their version of humanity, is the pinnacle of all existence. And here is this machine creation. trying to mimic, mimic, yeah. you know, it's like humans trying to mimic gods in their right. minds, you know? Yeah. All right, so next question. Another big part of the origin of Halloween is the remembrance of the dead. I said we were going to get back to Grub, and we are. I'd feel terrible if I didn't bring him up. And, of course, also, my boy Chaz. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Um, that's more comment than question, yeah. but, if you know, Grub ended up playing a pivotal role in our escape, as did, to some degree, Chaz, the little Pokemon that I had. He killed one of the... The encroaching Aslanti guards, you know, so uh, it kind of. Well, he was certain. He was certainly some much needed levity in in uh, two hours of stress, like three hours of total stress. Having having Chaz there to kind of at least be like, at least we can laugh. At least we can laugh as players for a second, you know. Like I thought right. that was a nice add-in. I, for I him just too, want to set know? this straight, John. What was the name that you had proposed for Pyrantula. for the for the Pyrantula. Guys, let's stop for one second and consider the fact that this is clearly the better name for the Pokemon. Pyrantula? Are you kidding me? That is fucking solid. You're right and you're wrong at the same time. If we're talking about Pokemon, that would be the type of Pokemon he is, but you can nickname your Pokemon. Chaz is his 
the owner's name for the Pokemon. <laughs> I'll give it to you on a technicality, man. But Pyrantula, <laughs> I think Py- I think I just think Pyrantula is is solid. It's a solid name. I'll I'll give you that. You're right. He's a Pyrantula named Chaz. There you. Okay, that's fine. Anyways, that's fine. yeah. So Rip so Grub, Grub, dude, big F. I I think. I think Grub also served that purpose of levity at first. When we first met him with his, like, whole putting his tentacle in Zeno, uh, Zeno, Ziva's mouth. Uh, again, fuck you guys for making names so similar. I tried, Heath. <clears throat> um, but they, it's fine. But, he, you know, he did serve as a source of levity at first, but he ended up being a surprisingly meaningful and memorable temporary you know, yeah. partner of the uh, crew kind of thing. Yeah, it just shook out that way, you know? I, th- I honestly think what it came down to is that Adam was trying to help us in any way that he could. Sure. Despite him trying to, to murder us at the same time. And I think Grub just happened to be the big meaty boy that, well, that took that bullet. If you that. think about it, like, so what we knew about Grub was he was uh, telepathic. Uh, is that correct, Adam? Like, he only communicated kind of yeah yes yes he's like touchopathic touchopathic yeah that's a term um and in my mind (laughs) he was sensing all of the stress and duress and like the absolute angst and anguish and he was like i'm gonna help my cap i'm gonna help my um saviors any way i can this one's for you big mike and he strode out there like a boss that's what i think I mean, I, I yeah, that's a good save me from taking a bullet. What do y'all think? What does everybody think that was Grub's last? Why? Why do y'all think that Grub made that decision in in story? Like, I mean, Zach probably pretty close to hitting. I it think as I'm far pretty as close. Meta, yeah, but, like yeah, <laughs> but 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 narrative in, in fiction. Narratively, yeah, like what 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 reason do you think Grub did that? Well, I think that that race may be potentially. Uh, just generally kind-hearted the the alien type that it was was just you know used to being under misunderstood and wanted to not be wanted to do the best that it could to you know try and give some sense or some semblance of uh goodwill considering you know history that it may have seen I don't so know. they're i got they're a hot em- take they're empaths is your yeah I mean, yeah. Hold on. I What's guess. that hot take, Zach? <laughs> My hot take is just that he was so sick and tired of having been tortured and, and imprisoned by the Aslanti that he saw here's a crew of people who have a real chance to fuck their plans up, and they have a better chance than Grub does. And he'll, you know what? Fuck it. Grub's not going to launch an offensive against the Aslanti. Um,. Maybe, you know, a life, a soul for a soul to get yeah. at the bigger That's Aslanti picture. I like that. Referred I like to that. as uh, suicide. So, just to spite yeah. the Aslanti. Well, okay. He's going to take one for the team. Well, but, but, an, but an active decision to be a sacrificial lamb for a group of people that, to some degree, understand what he's going through. Yeah. Yes. 
So, uh, speaking of remembrance, uh, we had some pretty big deal flashbacks in this book. Um, and, you know, I don't want this to be an hour-long thing on this question, but did any of those flashbacks, like, really stick out to you guys? And more importantly, did any of them change your perceptions of the characters or even influence how you might carry on in this kind of social situation that we're in based on new knowledge? Let me give you the list of the flashbacks so you can remember real quick, right? Are you consulting the great spreadsheet of, of episode lists? I bow no, down to the spreadsheets. I'm, I'm actually not. I'm actually cons- <laughs> looking at my um, campaign notes document. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so I think the first one of season two was Michael to the cell. That was mm-hmm. his conversation with Sedona in the jail cell. The next flashback was Ziva 2, the android. That's when she received her an android and first met Sedona and talked to her in the pools. All right, then we had Xeno 2, which was wild. That's all the flashes. That was like the <laughs> series of flashes. And we have Orin 3, the connection. And this was a few days after Sedona found him drifting in space in their conversation. Oh, I don't have Fells on here because you have that. We, we, we don't have, I don't have a script for that. But then there was Fells conversation with, with Sedona. That was actually the first one. Yeah. yeah. She hired him to be the mechanic. His, his okay, whole so thing with the robotic bartender. There's Sedona's. At the, it was the last one of this season was Sedona's. And it was like basically her whole lead up to writing the letter to bring you guys on this mission. A real quick. So with fails, when y'all finished that one, do y'all do y'all remember when John like come out of the flashback and the first thing that was said, John, fucking machines, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a shower thought the other day about that specifically. Like I, I was legitimately like w- woke up super early in the morning because I got to be at work way too early, like earlier than anybody reasonably should be and taking a shower and I was just like oh my god there's that time that John does (laughs) and you know like it I don't know yeah we'll see you man we'll see no listen I don't think that you should I don't think you should be ashamed of that feeling no of course Josh because for one obviously it's directed towards like Automated non-sentient machines. Yeah, automated bots, right? And you lost your job. You lost your you lost your job, which was for you. And we haven't really got into a lot of fell, but you know, being somebody who maintains things, being a mechanic, and being uh, you know somebody who can improve and make sure that everything is working properly is like a big deal to fell and to just get replaced by like some non-thinking non-caring you know process machine machine. (laughs) yeah i'm trying to avoid using that word but you know but like that that was a real feeling for fell and i don't i don't want that to get lost or negated like that's a big part of who fell is and it's not something he should feel ashamed of it's might be confusing and it might be like give him some pause when it comes to when he's thinking about all this hate for androids you know surely but i think you josh should not feel bad about that well look 
Dude, a- actions speak louder than words, dude. Come on. Yeah. Failed yeah, drug exactly. dealer. You carried me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't give so, a fuck if Fell was no. pissed about whatever years ago. Like, no, nobody gives a fuck. He obviously cares about his fucking friend Zeno. It's a beautiful moment yeah. when you go and consider. All right, Heath, get us back. Uh, no, we no, lost. no. We we're still lost. talking about characters flashbacks that changed your perceptions of the characters and we are absolutely not leaving before I get to talk Zach about is Ziva's flashback. Zach is correct. Yeah. So that I think Ziva's flashback and getting the full scope of the kind of activities that she's willing to engage in to protect her business and protect her her employees um, that colored my opinion of Ziva a lot and it's not I know Emily probably thinks that it's like in a bad way that I like think that Ziva is a bad person, but I don't. I just think that Z like Ziva's like a fucking Don, dude. She's like fucking Corleone or like um <laughs> you know, Scarface, dude. Don, or something like you know, uh Tony Montana, bro. Like, come on. Right. Yeah. I don't think she's quite Scarface level. I do think she's much more reserved, and Don Corleone is probably a better she, comparison. She, she's, Don, she's Don. You know, like she's Don Zivarajni. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like George Jung. You know. Uh, she's a total badass. But like, it it for me it was like, of course it makes more sense that way that that this woman who's done these sorts of like underworld things not not. You know, I'm not saying like got down in the yeah. mud, but like she's she's not she's afraid had to get her hands cut dirty. off and handed to her like, on the reg. It's it's not a she's thing. She's engaged that, in underworld. Mm-hmm. There's no right, there's right. no well, we can't. Yeah, that she would have the confidence to 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 be like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll load up and we'll go out to this remote planet and and fuck shit up. That's fine, you know. And of course, the reality sinks in. <laughs> to use your metaphor, I think she definitely has gotten down in the mud. But I don't think it's a malicious yeah. thing, you know? Well, I mean, it's not an entirely malicious thing. It's malicious against those not, who have wronged her and hers. Yes. It's not malicious for the it's sake unscrupulous. of malice. That's a, yeah, that's a great word right there. It's, she's unscrupulous. unscrupulous. Fantastic. Emily, do they, have, do they have your character right? Do they have it all pinned? I guess we'll find out. Uh, but no, yeah, Ziva. She, <laughs> no, I. I mean, That's a bullshit Adam and answer. I worked on. <laughs> Adam and I worked on that uh, flashback and kind of like got it spliced where we wanted it to be to kind of give uh, kind of what you said, Zach, color her a little bit more. Um, and you guys have exactly as much of Ziva as I'm ready to give you right now. <laughs> but you'll have to yeah, pay I love for the more. drama with Ziva. Um, while we're talking about that, can we talk about motherfucking murder as Zeno? Like, ah, uh, yeah, who is yeah. this dude? Straight and up, he's just like ganking <laughs> folks in alleys. Like, oh, well, I'll Killing take care bookies. of this. Just letting his best friend fall under that bus. And get literally yeah. charged with yeah. murder. <laughs> Just saying, that happened. It. John, it did. It did happen. It and, actually did happen. And I think yeah. was it a mercy kill? Okay, man. All right, I'm just gonna level with you. So, as far as a mercy kill, 
This motherfucker was about to draw something on his homeboy, Mike. Alright? Now, that being said, I don't want to fucking... Uh, I'm not going to let him do that. He's not going to shoot my boy in the back. It's just not going to fucking happen. And I think that's the deciding factor. It's like, he may not have killed him if he was just pathetic and, and beaten and blinded and probably had nine or ten uh, facial bone fractures. But then, despite that, mm-hmm. he tried to attack Mike. So it's like, all right, we got to yes. end this. And I like that a lot more because mm-hmm. I was. Re- so it wasn't a mercy kill at all. I don't think I don't think it was a mercy kill. I think it was a defensive kill. Okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Granted, mm-hmm. it's not my Couldn't scene. Couldn't take his ass beaten and and, and walk on, huh? Mm-hmm. He tried. Right. He tried to pull a gun on a fist fight. You know. Well, I mean, there was a bit of a human. I mean, humane side of it, I guess, to a point. Because fist I mean, fight with Mike isn't fair, dude. No, no, it really isn't. You know. It's not. His whole facial cavity was destroyed. Come on, dude! Like, <laughs> no, no, there is a cavity there now. Don't you know? S- don't start a fight with titanium fucking Mike. Are you kidding me? Didn't Mike start the fight? Nope. No. No. Okay. okay. I've said numerous times I was accosted. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. There were also other flashes in that flashback too, although that was a big reveal. Yes, there were. Oh, with Zeno signaling out the signal. I mean, I assume that this is some kind of um, foreshadowing for our next adventure path. Is what is just what I assume. Uh, I'm I'm in agreement with that. We did find out about some of the unethical practices that uh, Zeno was involved with. Uh, there was a soldier mm-hmm. who was injected with a bunch of nanobots. Yup. Cool. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just saying, he yep. wasn't always on the squeaky the clean thing. level, you know. No, no. Did so- well, he was just always studying. He was just always studying, you know, like. Got to get that was- funding. You know who else was always studying? Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't sure where you were going with that. Yeah. That's where I went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the Nazis. <laughs> the Nazis. What were you saying? <laughs> For some reason, I just assumed that Zeno never has any ill intent. There's no malice whatsoever. It is just purely just like, huh, well, that's interesting. Like Subjective science. Completely yeah. subjective. Yeah. Practical. Yeah. It's not. Very emotional. pragmatic and... Uh, withdrawn. So I, you like, mean objective science? Obje- yeah, that was right. a test. Good job, science. Zach. You're right. My bad. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. You're right. Objective science. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no. So okay. I don't even think it's like bad. It's just science. <laughs> I think we can <laughs> collectively as a group say. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I don't think you're wrong, but I, do, I don't. There's really not a whole lot that can be said about it so I don't want to dwell on it too much it's just that for sure you definitely got a couple peeks at what Xena has been a part of one way or the other you know that purple light being something that's kind of permeating through the universe too you know exactly it sets some things up and at the same time it shows that Zeno's not quite squeaky clean <laughs> right 
So. Well, that's a lot of, we did a lot of flashbacks. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of them, you know? I mean, like, that's necessarily a long conversation. Yep. So, I mentioned that the Festival of Samhain, the Celtic Festival, was a pagan festival celebrating the end of the harvest and the onset of winter. Perhaps it's my own paranoia or just my metaphorical sensibilities, but I can't help but see a correlation between Book 1, wherein we pretty much crushed it and harvested Aslanti nonstop, and Book 2, which perhaps began our winter, our time of hardship. But then, my immediate thought after that was that Book 2 might just be Autumn, and now going into the unknown of Book 3, we may be entering our winter proper what i'm saying is discontent what yeah (laughs) nice what i'm saying is i'm really worried book three is going to be even harder than book two meaning some of us are gonna fucking die adam excluded or actually no feel free to jump in on this one are my fears unfounded do you guys have similar concerns yes absolutely 100 without a doubt yes Nah, we passed Adam. that Starfinder hump, man. We're invincible now. <laughs> nope. Got, nope. We got to give credit nope. to nope. Commodore for that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Commodore exactly. on the Discord. <laughs> All right, so Adam, our our benevolent... Yeah, benevolent. Not uh, anymore. Uh, quote, air quotes, <laughs> yeah. benevolent GM. Uh, ambivalent. Yeah, sure. Definitely uh, not ambivalent either. Ambiguous. Our capricious. Malevolent. Yeah, capricious. Malevolent capricious. GM. There we go. Yeah, capricious. Perfect. <laughs> did the best that he could to kill Zeno. Shot him literally while he was down. Several I'm times. I'm terrified. I am personally fucking terrified because I mean, Fell really didn't take the brunt of much of anything in in at, at Golta. So I kind of feel like uh, old blood is going to come back and Adam is really truly going to come bring it back around to me both Josh as a player and Fell as a character and try and kill him like hard but uh, Adam you didn't hear any of that and I hope that doesn't happen <laughs> uh, to piggyback on that actually I I think it's actually going to be coming back around to Zeno because we've seen that in, Z- in book one we've also seen it in book two and we're going to see pattern, Vengeance yeah, huh? Adam, Adam himself is actually just. I mean, we are going to the heart of the motherfucking throne, dealing with goddamn Aslanti, and bringing bringing in a fucking android. You know, he has shown time and time again that the Aslanti do not like androids. Just get Zeno to borrow. Mike's hat of disguise and wear no, that yeah, hat of disguise time. and maybe like some of like Ziva's makeup, you know? You can have it. Just like, yeah, I am a fully functioning human. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy doing human things. Yeah. Hello, fellow Hi humans. Hi there, fellow kids. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> human yeah. music. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Boop, boop, Um... <clears throat> Uh, okay. Anybody else? Anybody else okay. got opinions on that that topic? I, w- folks, I will do my best to keep everyone alive going through book three. I don't want anybody to die. I hey, do. You guys want to ha- make a Deadpool on the Discord or something? Like who you think oh, is God. most likely to die? Ooh. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's going to be Deadpool. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Like honestly. 
are we too strong I mean, or is it just not uh not as as much of a challenge for us i have a take but i'll wait i think that it's like i think you guys know now how powerful you are right for one like you found out to the full extent of what you can endure as a party which is a lot you're certainly learned from that you know and you're going to gain more power as you go and i've read through the adventure it's going to be challenging there's no doubt about that but i think y'all are just going to be better players you know what i mean and i i'm not worried about death until signal screams but because of that i'm afraid that i'm going to be caught off guard and like it's just going to be something random it's going to be something totally random that's going to yeah. catch one of y'all. Oh, yeah. I'm really I don't think it's going to screams be me, me. You know, like, yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I got a lot of that out of my system, too. Like, yes, there is definitely for real narrative reasons why everything was done to Zeno. For real. And Absolutely. Stuff that hasn't come. Well, and stuff that hasn't even come out yet. Like, but like, that being said, I'm not going to sit here and say that there wasn't some aspect of me also flexing everything I could to try to see what it would be like to actively try to kill a character because I was given that license to do that. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's a style of play that's hard to do. Like I, I didn't particularly like attacking Zeno while he was down behind the curtain, like behind the curtain, there is a bubbling hatred between me and Adam. You know. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no. oh, no. He's saying behind uh, his curtain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no. It, so I don't think what I'm saying is I don't think you have to worry about it coming from me, like directly. Try, you know what I mean? Like I no. play the book like I play. I GM how I play. I'm not going to hold anything back. But at the same time, I don't think it'll be so directed this time around you know what i mean and that's no spoilers we'll see how it goes out you know but like it's just not set up the same way as book so can considering all that adam said uh i think you know my opinion outside of the narrative of the game is that you know when we first started this this adventure through book one you know, like, we've talked about that there was this notion of, like, oh, players are unkillable in Starfinder. Like, it's a, it's a good system, but a system that you're not really supposed to die in or whatever. And I think Adam might have taken that to heart and taken it out on a couple of players. But I think Adam also got his fucking street cred, because all I've seen in the Discord is, like, you're a real son of a bitch for the things <laughs> that you've done, you know? <laughs> Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe there won't be that, but I'm not, I'm not betting either way. I'm a betting man, but, uh, I'm just saying, I don't think he's gonna have as many reasons, like he said, to target individual players other than just who's, who's the biggest threat right now, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, heard that. So before we move on to, uh, listener questions. I have a question for each one of you, and that's all That's all I'm going to do. I, usually I do a, a little chunk of like questions for the party. I'm going to target each of you individually, much like Adam did in this adventure, uh, or this book, rather. <laughs> <clears throat> and I want to start with Emily. 
Uh, what specifically about the warden made you so incredibly mad? It was honestly, so for, if I'm speaking as Ziva, it was because it was like looking in an envoy mirror, except the mirror was more perfect than the actual subject. Um, it was just like all the shit that Ziva was doing, or the shit that I was rolling, literal shit, just wasn't enough to do what the warden was doing, but successfully. And it was just really frustrating to see what she could have been and wasn't. Are you saying you were a little jealous? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> she's a little jelly. Yeah, what? just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, she was hella jealous. Jelly. I was hella. I was upset with Adam because, you know, he she was, was doing a lot better than I. And um, <laughs> what did you say? I said because she was so good. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, she was so. I mean, I was rolling really well during that fight. Ziva and I were know. hella salty. We were like. Just, you need to go see the doctor. Your sodium levels are entirely too high, salty, about the whole encounter. NACL. So. Out mm-hmm, the frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I, yeah, no, I was jealous. That's it. I, I got it. I got it. So, Fel, <laughs> uh, Josh, is there something in particular about Zeno that made you want to both place yourself between him and the dangers of the warden fight as well as drag his limp body back to the ship or is Fell just a diamond in the rough and we never knew that he had the heart of a war hero um I mean I come out good either way right <laughs> I mean really I don't think you can no, get uh, too so long just about answer this the one, question he, yeah yeah, no, like I'd go with it, heart it, it of a was war hero, honestly, dude. it was a spur of the moment type thing. No, it, it was it was a spur of the moment type thing. So I guess heart of the warrior, like it was something that fell didn't really know that he had in him, but you know, in the moment, you really truly in moments of crisis like crisis like that, you really get to know who you actually are, and in that or in those moments fell you know came through instead of you know falling to the wayside and turning to to run and leave you know his his companion behind decided that it was worth like that that Zeno or or a friend or anything was worth potentially his own life to to drag to safety to get in between uh or get in the line of fire for his friend regardless of who it is you know, it, it was honestly just kind of a, a spur of the moment type thing. It was not at all planned out. What would Grub do? Well, I mean, yeah, WWGD. So what that's good. That's a good joke, and I like it. But I have a follow up question, and that is you said, oh, it didn't matter who it was. What if it was Mike's heavy ass? Then Fell would have struggled his fucking damnedest. Without leg amputation or leg amputations, without leg augmentations, <laughs> he would have done his damnedest to drag Mike's heavy ass out of there. Right. So, so the answer is, he had a heart of a war hero the whole time. <laughs> I, I, I set you yes. up for it. I wanted you to bank in on it because you did a fucking good job in the book. Moving on. Well, thank you. 
Zack, voice of Auron. Considering that Auron is not only a healer, but probably the best tactician of the party, I have a couple of questions. First, is Auron disappointed in the Epic Tracer crew? Yes. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking knew it! Cool. I knew yeah. it! Yeah. I mean... My soul. Is he what, disappointed uh, what, in anyone <laughs> in... Per- no, no, I expected that. Is he disappointed in so. anyone in particular? Himself. Oh. Himself. Uh, yeah. He let it... He well, let, he let no, it, he but let that's his, obviously the case, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, he he let his own temper initiate some of those conflicts, you know. So he feels yeah. just as responsible as anyone else for any mistakes that happened. Yeah. All right. So second, does he consider the Epic Tracer crew to be his friends? I would assume on backstory he's friends with Fell, but if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I don't know where he stands as far as personal relationships, considering he's so fucking averse to engaging in them. So I'm gonna interject here real quick. Uh, Fell and Oren are workplace proximity associates at best. <laughs> Oren considers the Epic Tracer crew his family. Aww. Aww. Okay, let yeah. me roll back a little bit. <laughs> At the start I changed my mind. Of this campaign, yeah. we were workplace proximity associates. <laughs> well, you, you you walked into that one, Josh. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that, I'm so yeah. glad for the recording session that we're having, though. Uh, so, John, my good man, I know that Zeno and Mike are inextricably linked. Okay. I know Mike would have been devastated if Zeno had died, and I expressed that. Considering that Zeno is an android, and as such, emotions are kind of weird for him, if Mike had died in the prison, would Zeno have taken on the mantle of president of the APA? And if so, how would he change it? Ooh, that is a, that's a good question. Okay. First off, yes. Yes, he would actually assume the mantle. But I think it would be a co-partnership with uh, him and Tafan Yee. Um, just to, cause Tafan Yi is more of the, uh, the presentation, whereas, uh, uh, Zeno is more of the behind the scenes, you know, bean counter, you know? Um, but yeah, I'd say, uh, and as far as changing it, I think he would want to carry on the, uh, the missions over to the, uh, machine court. To Avalon. Um, yeah, and, and on Abalon, he would want to continue that, but I think he would probably extend that also into any kind of uh, slavery, any kind of uh, um, android uh, slavery, kind of, almost kind of like the uh, maybe a co-partnership with like the like an uh, like a of the uh, android abolitionist front. Okay, you okay. know, you'd 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 go a little more political with the company. Yeah. All right, so Adam, 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 my guy. In the book one wrap-up, I asked how much we had made you hate us and why the hell you continued to agree to GM for us. This time, I have a slightly different question. You ready? Yeah, okay. How fucking dare you? You've got a lot of nerve shooting Zeno while he's unconscious, stealing all of Mike's stamina and HP, as well as preventing Aaron from firing ship weapons on troops that would 
totally work in the real world to use uh, Fell's <laughs> Totally parlance. works. They would totally work. I just want to know how you live with yourself when you're kicking the shit out of us while we're trying so hard to survive. All kidding aside, what challenges did, did we present to you as a party, if any? And how did you overcome them? Also, for real, you're the goddamn devil. <laughs> okay. Shoot we. Uh, I feel like we discussed some of that already, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. It's fine. But here, here's the thing. I, when I read this book, I knew it was going to be a challenge for y'all. I knew it was going to be a challenge for me too. And we've been playing for a long time as a group, you know? And I don't know. I, I think that I really wanted to push you all as a party because I wanted, as I mentioned earlier, I really wanted you to see how much you could endure. Uh, you know, 100% honest, I could not be more pleased with how this ended. You know, I am so glad that Zeno and Ziva survived that outcome. I'm so glad that all of your characters are here. I have so much story to tell with all your characters, you know? To me, it's creating that real sense of tension and also giving you an opportunity to see how powerful you guys are as a party and what you can do together, I think was important. I think that you, you all needed it as a group. We needed it as a group to like flex that all the way. And so the challenge was to answer your question, Heath was how can I push that to the very edges without TPKing you, or in this case, you know, total party capture. Now, I'm not talking specifically about the last two episodes. I'm talking about the prison in general. You guys kind of bunked it up from the get-go. And, you know, you got through the first gate, but then the, the in the first actual room in the prison, you picked a fight with a janitor, you know? You, your temper got the best of you. <laughs> he pulled out Zeno's eyes, and you decided to fight him instead of roll with it. And... So I, you know, at that point, the whole prison should have come down on you, I think, you know, like you guys not only did that, but then got in open conflict with the guards that were watching the security tapes, you know, and the main Aeon guard that was in the front half of the prison, you should have had the prison descending on you, I think from that point on, but I wanted to keep it going and make it fun. And so I was like, okay, well, what are some things that could happen here that they still have significant consequences for that, but they still have an opportunity to make it out of here, you know? But once, once we hit that point, I made a decision to myself that I was not going to let up the pressure or the heat, you know, and I was going to keep putting you in tough, 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 tough situations. You guys were going to have to get your way out. You know, so that, I don't know. That's I think that was my challenge was to balance that through throughout the whole thing. Um, I think at the end, I probably was a little bloodthirsty. But as I said, there there are narrative reasons has been established. And we talked about earlier that their hatred for the androids and there's disdain for them as 
things that should even be existing is real. Yeah. You know. So so mechanically, were there any ways in which we challenged you? Or was it just a fucking cakewalk? Well, so I mentioned it in our interview with Eleanor, but we didn't go into detail about it. But there is a whole system called the alertness system that is going on throughout the prison. And it's this whole other set of mechanics that's just happening in the background. And there's various things that you do that adds to that level of alertness. And there's like five tiers of alertness, you know, a scale from like one to 12, you know, once you hit 12 and above, you're at like peak situation, you know, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I just want to read a couple of them. Right. So open combat is an immediate plus five to your alertness. That's a plus five. Uh, if you're caught in a restricted area without clearance, plus two. Failure in a critical system such as a hack, plus three. Unseen noises of combat, plus three. Dead or unconscious guard discovered, plus four. You know, like... That's big. It's a big deal. It can stack up very quickly. Yeah, it can stack up very quickly. So that was kind of the mechanical challenge of this book was keeping up with the things that you guys are throwing at me and like trying to scale it based on this chart that I had and keep everything kind of cohesive around how they were supposed to respond based on your actions. Cause then there's different tiers based on the alertness levels, you know? So, okay. My thing is like, it seems to me in retrospect that we maybe had an ace in the hole in that regard. If we had properly used the signal jammer and every time we thought there might be a threat to the overall like security level we had used the signal jammer preemptively um how much do you think we could have done better based on that that soul device a lot i think a lot i mean yeah like i mean yeah no doubt i think that honestly had you not reacted to the janitor taking Xena's eye out the way you did, right. you could have gotten all the way to the cell blocks without any, without anything. Without you wouldn't have had to f- spend any resources on the fight with the camera crew. You wouldn't have had to worry about the prison ro- um, security robots and all that stuff. Like you could have got all the way there. So, so I mean the the assumption is that you could potentially make it at least like 70 or 80 percent through this thing without ever raising the the threat level right engaging no not even if you had a fight but you cut off communications beforehand you still would have been probably fine in most situations right well and see my thought process in not using the signal jammer was that if communications were cut that in itself would raise the alertness level. You know, that, that was kind of a, a last-ditch effort type thing. Like, if things really went off the rails, then we cut the communications so that the Aslanti can't communicate with each other, not so much to mask what we were doing. Well, yeah, I right. mean, that's right. part of the paranoia for sure. But, like, had we been more 
able to use it effectively in short bursts. You know, when we needed to, I think we we would have done a lot better. Like, you know, you go into a room where you may have a, a situation that could go south or whatever. Go ahead and jam stuff for a minute and a half. Take care of the situation and then unjam it because nobody's going to communicate if there's not a problem. Yeah. Right. You know, for sure. For sure. I mean, that in, in hindsight, 2020, you know, if I were to go through it again, then yeah, absolutely. I would, you know think or know to do that but okay yeah i mean again like you said hindsight you know i'm just asking um how how successful could we have been had we been a little better about our instincts um so i'm gonna let adam move on to the uh listener questions and then after that all i've got is some some thank you wrap up stuff I know we're, we're pretty deep into this one, but let's get through these listener questions because to me, that's always one of the most exciting parts of a Tom talk. Sure. Um, yeah, we're definitely crunching it on time here. So we'll try to answer these quickly for y'all. Um, start off with a light one, uh, from bipolar pop tart. In what ways did you all envision killing me for all the stress I put you through? Uh, I'll start, uh, with my fists. That okay. was my answer. Pulling out your eyeball. It involved a glass of wine with a slight sleeping agent and a sharp knife. So, oh, there God. we go. Okay. Oh, God. John? Wow. Uh, oh, no, I'm going to save John for last. <laughs> Josh? Uh, Just bearing down on your throat with my wrench. Just, you know. Oh, my God. One hand on each side of the wrench, just, just pressing down on your throat. All right, Zach. Man, I'm not I have great to dreams. kill you, man. Come on, dude. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that, Zach. Suck up. All right. John. John. Uh, eye gouging and pot shots to you while yeah, you just lay there. I expect that. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Um, Overplus ask, book two had some great emotions. As a player, now with looking back, did you enjoy the high of all the nat 20s from episode 32? I think it was 31 forgetting the exact number yes. or the roller coaster emotions from the experience with the warden so uh i did go back and count there were eight natural 20s in that one episode that's nice. insane so which did you like more having like all those like just crushing or the back and forth emotions like and he's asking from hindsight uh i i think that the episode where the episode of the natural 20 was much needed because of the context of where we were. That wouldn't be as special if we were sure. already doing well, but because we were in a, a particularly uh, stressful situation, it mattered a lot as far as keeping all of us from quitting this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think pretty much everybody feels pretty that much, way, yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We needed a win. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Uh, Bear Claire asks, and I think we touched on this a little bit, so I'm going to direct this directly. Well, I'm going to exclude Emily because we already know what Emily's answer is going to be. Who boiled y'all's blood more? The Lieutenant Sharu or Warden Ayastra? Zach, start with you. Um, Sharu. Sharu, yeah, for sure. Sharu? Yeah, 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 she wasn't that bad. John, what about you? Warden. Okay. Josh? Yeah, the warden for sure. And Emily, you would say warden, right? Uh, AKA okay. that so thought. 
<laughs> All right. And Mike. Uh, Adam Adam Heath. Kelly. Okay. <laughs> All right. Necessary Evil asked a question that's, I, I think it's interesting. Um, how Now that we have two books behind us, are any of you regretting the class you've chosen to play? Start no. with Emily. Okay, we'll start with Zach. No. no. Emily. <laughs> uh, Emily, no. I, I'm enjoying it more and more as we go along. What about you, John? Uh, earlier on, I was thinking, like, maybe I should have gone operative, but now I've actually, like, uh, I'm starting to really feel the Technomancer, so I like it. Yeah, I'm, okay. I don't regret it. Good. Josh? Yeah, not at all. Like, I'm genuinely enjoying playing in a Exocortex mechanic. All right, and Heath? I may regret saying this later, but I don't think there's an adventure or a scenario you could throw at me where I would possibly say yes. To regretting playing a soldier? To regretting playing an armor storm soldier. To oh, regretting playing a titanium mic. Yeah, Punchy titanium mic is the best yeah, right. all the time in every adventure ever. I mean, signal screams though, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And I'm still going to fucking we'll kill it. We'll see what happens. I'm going to kill you it. Can't, but you can't punch your way through some of this stuff in signal screams. <laughs> Try, you can. Try it. That's like, what I'm saying. If anybody right. can, it's me. Punch the screen. Next question. Last question from okay. listeners. And this is from Commodore. Commodore. Um, here's a general one. With two AP books under your belts now, what are your favorite aspects of Starfinder and what are some house rules you might want to add? Can I go first again? Sure. Three action. The three action system from Pathfinder 2E. I, I just want it. I just think it's the best. I still think you should have like swift actions. And reactions and stuff like that, but I, I think a three-action system in Starfinder would be just just right. What are your favorite aspects of the system? A little more granularity than 5e. A little more customization of of character via feats than 5e. Um, I guess that that the same thing cool. is in Pathfinder, but I played Starfinder first. All right, Josh, we'll move to you next. So, favorite aspects of Starfinder? I love starship combat. You know, just as, as a whole, having the entire group, instead of controlling themselves individually, everyone working together to control a single ship is freaking awesome to me. Um, I mean, vehic- vehicular combat is just so cool in general. House rules. Um, if it would work in real life, it works in the game. <laughs> of course. Of course. I mean, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I'll let you have that one. That's a good answer. All right. Uh, Heath. Yeah, so uh, I, for one, agree with uh, Josh. I love Starship Combat. I know it's a a region of the game that a lot of people don't like. I think it's amazing, and it's a good team-building exercise. As far as home, like, rules, I would change the plus eight against... Uh, like combat maneuvers to a plus four. I think it's too much. I think plus eight is unreasonable, especially at lower levels. I'm not. I'm not joking. I feel you on that. I'm not sure. joking yeah. at all. Hey, no, I'm, I'm with you 100. Yeah. I'm laughing at John because it looks like that's what he wants. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what I was gonna fucking say. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I'm right there. Uh, with all you, right. Though. Well, John, 
what what are your thoughts? What are your some of your favorite aspects? Okay, so my, my my top thing would be that uh, I do love the crafting, the technological items, the mods, the augmentations, etc. I think they're all the bee's knees. Um, that really adds an extra amount of just it just makes your character extra, you know, and it's really fucking cool. I like that. Um, as far as what I would change, it would yeah, okay, the combat maneuvers. Um, that one really sticks to me. Um, as far as any kind of home rules, mm, can't really have any think anything of that. But yeah, that's that's mine. You know. All right, Emily. The I think it's kind of already been said, but the customization options and the ever-growing races. I love that there are so many, and yes. then the legacy races, and then all the new ones that are coming out, and the archives and stuff. Uh, I just get really excited. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, and as far as house rule, I wish that you could split movement. That's something I miss from like 5e. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Splitting mm-hmm. movement would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. That would be. That really would be. Also, the three action, uh, what Zach said. That would be pretty fucking yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, for me, one of my favorite aspects about Starfinder is just the kinds of stories that you can tell in it. I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but, I mean, I'm the GM, right? So, like, <laughs> I love the type of situations <laughs> that you can do that are a little bit different than a lot of the standard fantasy-based ones. Um, I like that there are a whole system for computers and I like that there's a whole system for as you said the starships and everything like that just feels like mechanically a lot bigger and then like you know you can tell any story you want because the galaxy is literally the ends of your imagination so um house rules I mean I already added the one that I would like I really love giving inspirations I feel like it's a nice um thing to keep morale high at the part at the table and they obviously come in useful and they're they are meant specifically for those types of situations that we saw where john saved because of an inspiration against a coup de grace you know yeah that's why they're there you know um so that that's it for for me on the listener questions um that that said uh that, that's about it for the episode. Um, I've got, obviously, a ton of thank yous that I have to get out. Um, and I'm going to start with Roll20. Thank you for sponsoring us, providing the tools we use to play this amazing game. Speaking of the game, I extend a huge thank you to Paizo for creating the Starfinder game system and against the Aeon Throne Adventure Path. Thank you to Ron Lundeen for writing book one, and a double thank you to Eleanor Farron for both writing book two and gracing us with her presence on our first episode of Southern Tomfoolery Unscripted, or STFU for short. Uh, thank you again to Valhaven Studios for our beautiful dice bags. We've all, every one of us have now received our bags. Um, and, and, and can't say enough about how beautifully crafted they are. Thanks to our friends in other podcasts that have inspired or supported us, including the Glass Cannon Podcast, The Adventure Zone, Hideous Laughter Podcast, Cosmic Crit, as well as the patron saint of TTRPG Podcast, Jason at What Do You Do Pods. I could never get through a single episode without mentioning Jason. And of course, thank you to all of the listeners for your support and engagement, especially those of you who have supported us on Patreon. I'm still amazed that so many of you have been so gracious with your hard-earned cheddar. 
And that's that's the Tom Talks, guys. Right. Yeah. Thanks for being yes. here. Congratulations to everyone for surviving book two of Against we the Iron Throne. We did the thing. Try harder next time, Adam. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't Fair. say that. Fair. Oh, but he will. You know he will. He didn't we kill anyone trying. for the first two books. Somebody's going to die next book. Fair. They might.